You're listening to Comedy Central. November 5th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. In preparation for the midterm elections tomorrow, we have two guests joining us tonight. The Republican governor of Ohio, John Kasich, is here, and Democratic senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, is going to be joining us as well. Both of them, one show, and they don't know this yet, but one of them is the father of my baby. <laughs> hashtag Maury, hashtag resist. But before we get to that, let's catch up on today's headlines. As you probably know, the migrant caravan coming from Central America is now just a few short 700 miles from the United States border. (laughs) And the welcoming committee is on the way to meet them. Tonight, a show of force with migrant caravans at least 700 miles away. The first wave of U.S. troops arrives at the Texas border, creating barriers, putting up barbed wire and fencing, an effort to keep migrants out. There are reports this border deployment could cost upwards of $200 million by the end of the year. $200 million? For that money, you realize you could fly the entire caravan first class to Scandinavia. (laughs) Which, by the way, would be a lot more entertaining to watch. Yeah, because then you'd see what those other countries are really about. It would be like, America, the way you treat the needy is so heartless. Why can't you just, what, they're coming here? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, that's not gonna work. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, we'll find out the Swedish word for wall. Uh, (laughs) Now, don't forget, don't forget, um, down on the Mexican border, America already has the border patrol Uh, the National Guard, and you've got Space Force. Don't forget that. So you don't really need the army there. But Trump will find an excuse to use the troops for anything, you know? Next thing you know, he'll be like, this table is so wobbly, folks. Let's get a troop under that leg. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Great job. In other news, President Trump today officially implemented new sanctions on Iran. And this was to punish them for upholding their end of the Iran nuclear deal. And his announcement was something straight out of an HBO show. President Trump is facing backlash this morning for a controversial tweet promoting sanctions against Iran. The president posted this picture yesterday morning with the quote, sanctions are coming. The picture and the text are a knockoff of HBO's Game of Thrones and its slogan, winter is coming. Now in response, HBO tweeted, how do you say trademark misuse in Dothraki? Is is anyone taking politics seriously anymore? Rarely, the president of the United States is dropping Game of Thrones memes for harsh economic sanctions. Like, you know what? Screw it. He should just do that for all of his policies from now on. Just be like, better call wall. (laughs) And America's got tax cuts. (laughs) Oh, and of course, his signature policy, orange hates the new black. (laughs) Also... (laughs) Also in international news, there's a new tallest man in the world. He's Indian, he's made of bronze, and he's worth a fortune. India has unveiled the world's tallest statue, twice the size of the Statue of Liberty. It honors freedom fighter Sardar Patel, who's credited with bringing the country together after India gained independence from Great Britain in 1947. 
The state government says it is 597 feet tall and cost $403 million. $400 million for a statue. You realize for that amount of money, you could fly the caravan back from Sweden first class <laughs> and then pay them to put up barbed wire to block themselves. <laughs> what are you doing, India? And here's the thing, I'm not saying India shouldn't build statues, but why not build one of like Gandhi, right? He's also famous and he was much skinnier, okay? <laughs> yeah, they could have saved on materials. Same height, half the cost. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our main story. Tomorrow is election day, which makes tonight election eve. And I don't know about how your family celebrates, but I like to put on my ugly voting day sweater. And I watched that episode of Charlie Brown where he gets purged from voter rolls. Now you can tell that these midterms are some of the most important in recent history because America is leaning hard on its number one natural resource, celebrities. Celebrities also out in force this weekend, trying to get out the blue vote. Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt unveiling last minute ads about what's at stake. Will Ferrell has been very active. Uh, he was with Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Celebrities from Pharrell to Alicia Keys showing up on the campaign trail. Comedian Amy Schumer went back to school to urge young voters to cast their ballots early. The O Factor. Oprah Winfrey electrifying voters in Georgia for Democrat Stacey Abrams. You get a vote, and you get a vote! Knocking on doors. Hi, Oprah. Damn. Oprah coming to your door and asking for your vote. That has to be the most effective thing ever. Seriously, like, if Oprah showed up at my house and asked me to do anything, you better believe I'm doing it. And I'm talking anything. <laughs> If she was like, I need you to hide this dead body, I'd be like, wow, I get to hide a dead body for Oprah! We're hiding a dead body! <laughs> On the other hand, though, I think having Oprah go door to door could also backfire, because if I knew that Oprah might show up at my house, I'm staying home all day. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna leave to vote in case I miss Oprah. <laughs> you know what they should do? If they want people to go vote, they need Oprah to hide in one random voting booth somewhere in America. <laughs> And then when someone comes in, she can just pop out like, it's me, Oprah! <laughs> and it's not just celebrities who are coming out in full force. Voting day is one of the biggest days for the fake news media, which means it's time to release the holograms! Let's take a look at what's at stake in this election. All 435 House seats are up for grabs, and Democrats need to pick up 23 to take control for the first time in eight years. In the Senate, a much different story. The Democrats are on defense. They need to gain two seats, but they could lose even more. A 50-50 tie here is a loss for the Democrats, because in the event of a tie vote, the tiebreaker is Vice President Mike Pence. Wow, cool graphics, guys. I feel like that's how Mike Pence enters a room in real life. He just, <laughs> just pops up out of nowhere behind a chair. Well, hello, fellow colleagues. <laughs> now, look, I do get why the news uses flashy graphics. Right? It's the best way to get complicated information across, which is why The Daily Show has invested in its very own holographic midterm system. So let's get into it. All right, let's start with the basics. This is the Capitol building. In the House of Representatives, you have... <laughs> You know what, forget, like, get, I'll, I'll sign up later under another email address. Let's, let's go back, sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't need graphics to tell you why tomorrow is huge. If the Democrats take the House or the Senate, they could block Trump's nominees. They can block his legislation, and the Democrats might even be able to see what's inside his tax returns. Spoiler alert, it's Hillary's emails. 
That's if the Democrats win. But if the Democrats don't win either house, then Trump will see that as a mandate. Like, he'll be like, oh, this means I should get even Trumpier. And you thought that tie was too long before? We're going ankle length, baby. That's where we're going. Yeah. We're going super ankle length. And also concentration camps, but mostly tie lengths. And I don't know if it's because of the celebrities or because of the guy who used to fake fire celebrities, but judging by the early voting numbers, these midterms could have the highest turnout ever. Early voting already smashing records around the country. More than 34 million voters have cast early ballots. Turnout among 18 to 29 year olds is up 186% in Arizona. In Georgia, it's up 362%. I spoke with this overflow crowd at Sunday's Ted Cruz rally just outside of Dallas. Raise your hand if you voted early. Yeah, here. Yep. All, pretty much all of you voted early. Yes, we did. Okay, um, that woman in the denim jacket was clearly lying. <laughs> no, 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 I, like, watch, watch her closely. Raise your hand if you voted early. Yeah, here, yep. All of... Yeah. You see, this, this is why I don't trust the polls, all right? <laughs> all these denim jacket people out here are lying about how they voted. She just saw everyone else and she's like, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> And yeah, I'm not picking on this woman. It's just, what I'm saying is people can say whatever they want in the polls. It doesn't have to be true, right? They're like the Tinder profiles of democracy. Just like, hey, I'm Bill, I'm six foot three, I love working out, and I'm definitely not the Cincinnati Strangler. Yeah! <laughs> Swipe right if you have a skinny neck, lol. <laughs> Look, the point is, you shouldn't vote because of what the polls say, all right? You should vote because there's a message that resonates with you or because you want to completely obliterate the other side. So after the break, we'll be hearing from a Republican and a Democrat because there's very fine people on both sides. And to decide who goes first, we're gonna flip a coin. Heads is Kasich, tails is Booker. Wow. We'll be right back. <laughs> Republican, please welcome the former presidential candidate and current governor of Ohio, John Kasich. Very nice, thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Good to have you here at uh, what is honestly looking to be one of the most exciting midterms in recent American history. Um, let's start with the, 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 the state of the race. You're term limited, and right. you're exiting as governor of Ohio uh, from what many consider a very successful term. Uh, why are people in Ohio so happy right now? Well, our, my philosophy was you can't leave anybody out. So you want to help the small businesses, you want to grow jobs, you want to reduce some taxes, but if you're going to reduce taxes for those on the top, you've got to make sure that people who don't have much money get an advantage as well, so we created the first earned income tax uh, credit here in, for the state of Ohio. But if you are mentally ill, if you're developmentally disabled, if you're part of a minority group that has never felt included, I think now you do. We expanded Medicaid so people could get health care. Right. So my feeling is, is that it should be no one is left behind. We've heard that before. But whoever you are, we want to make sure that you had a sense that your governor and the administration, whatever, we cared about you and we want you to have a chance. And I think it's a good roadmap for people in all political parties. Right, you, you sort of answered my question, 
but at the same time, you told me what you did and not why the people were happy. So well, because they feel well, like they're not let's, being ignored. Well, let's let's do this. I'm 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 a, I've, I thought of this today because I was like, we have two politicians on, and the, the election is tomorrow. People want to like just hang out with you, and you know you're a real guy. So let's do this. I've got Ronnie Chang standing standing by, and what we'll do is every time uh, you give us like a super politician-y answer, uh, Ronnie's gonna get dunked into a, a water tank. Ronnie, <laughs> where is Ronnie? You're happy with that, right? Have you got Ronnie standing by? No. Can you call me out for someone else who can actually vote? Like, <laughs> I don't know, Roy or Costa or Desi or literally anybody else. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's electoral college, Ronnie. Thank you. So, um, now, back into the interview. Okay, so, so, so if I understand what you're saying is the people of Ohio are happy right Turner, now. Here's the, here's the deal, look. Yes. If you want to be successful in public life, you can't care about, you know, who you're, all the polls and who you're making upset. What you have to do is to say, I, there's a problem here, let's fix it. Uh -huh. And if it means it's an unconventional fix, that's fine. Because in that case, you're actually solving a problem. I think a lot of the times in politics, politicians are trying to check with people. Right. Like, right. Is this okay? Are you happy with that? If that's how you lead, you're, gonna, you're not going to be successful. So the job, actually, being governor, there have been trying times, but it's not been very hard. You know why? When you know what you want to do, you, mm -hmm. you just strip the politics out and it, it all works out. You, you are also a unique human being in that you are a, a, a dying breed of Republican who does not uh, favor Donald Trump. You have not, uh, you did not endorse him. Um, I ran against him. You ran against him. You right. were one of the last to yeah. run against Donald Trump. That, that puts you in a really precarious position where it seems like what the does party... What precarious position? Well, the party's going one way and it seems like, like to maintain your Republican status, I, well, you have to toe the I'm line. I'm an American. I'm an American before what I'm a Republican mean? or a Democrat. Right. Well, there's not like some club I should have to report to. I don't need to get a script from somebody. I need to look at a situation. I'll give you an example. Expanding Medicaid, very right. controversial. I thought, okay, I can help 600,000 people. It means we'll have more help for the mentally ill. We'll, have, we'll be able to rehab people who are on drugs. And single moms that have kids can go out and work. I mean, what, what's, you know, so if people are going to yell at me, and some did, so what? I didn't endorse Trump for this reason. I'll, I'll tell you, what, what, let me explain why. There's two types of populism, okay? There's, there's negative populism where you say, well, the reason you don't have something is somebody else took it. Right. And there's positive populism, which is what I really am about. And that is, you have a problem? We'll work together. We'll fix it. We can do it. We can get this fixed. There's got to be hope. You uh -huh. know, there's, there's hope that together we can begin to solve your problem. And that's, honestly, that's the way. And what I learned in the presidential campaign is something that I think all politicians should think about. It's not about these issues. It's about touching somebody's soul. It's about, it's about being able to relate to them in a way where you can communicate, man, I care about you. I care about your family. How's your health care? How's your job? Mm -hmm. how's, your, how's your whole family? How's the neighborhood? And you just touch their soul. And then when you do that, they go, well, then I can trust that person. Right. And that's, that's what I really learned. All these, you know, how much did you cut taxes? Or, I mean, those things matter, but what really matters is, Trevor, how you doing, man, and what can I do? How do you How's touch people's going? souls? Donald Trump has touched many people's souls, it feels like. Scared him. Well, I mean, he used, he used he has, fear. Yes, it's negative populism. Right, and so if we, if we look at the race right now, you have an interesting story where in Ohio, it's one of the tightest races that is being run right. for your seat, right? Because your term limits are up, right. and so you have to leave. And you have uh, DeWine, who's vying for your spot as a right. Republican. Trump endorsed him. 
You have endorsed him as well, but you're in the space where you guys both agree on one thing. Is that a, a strange space for you to be in? Well, look, I've known Mike for 30 years, and let me tell you about him. His heart, you know, the reason I endorsed him is because I've known his heart. And, you know, he and his wife have made over 20 trips to Haiti to try to help people they didn't even know. They went mm -hmm. down there to try to lift them. So I like that. The fact that, you know, Trump endorses somebody that, look, I don't sit around wanting to be against Donald Trump. I wish that he would be a unifier. Right. I wish he'd bring us together. Um, you know, I tell you, I went with my wife to see uh, Bohemian Rhapsody on, uh, on Saturday, mm -hmm. okay? And the scene at the end of the movie, which everybody should see, it's a great movie. Spoiler alert. When, no, 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 no. <laughs> on this movie, I'm telling you something. When, when the queen is performing, uh -huh. and you look across Wembley, and it doesn't matter who you are. You'd be a liberal, a conservative, a black, white, rich, poor. Then everybody's dancing, clapping their hands, right. having a great time. And you see this wave of humanity. That's how we do better, when we're together. Right. Not when we're divided and fighting with one another. The, um, the midterms are but one part of the story. Uh, you know, uh, 2020 is in the horizon. Right. As soon as tomorrow is done, that's what everyone's going to be speaking about. John Kasich has been referred to consistently as the sensible Republican choice. Do we see you running against Donald Trump in 2020? I don't know. Now, don't go in the dunk tank yet, because I have to give you the honest answer. <laughs> What I don't want to do... I feel like that's the dunk uh, tank. Ronnie, he just Ronnie, put you in the, dunk tank. in the dunk tank. Let's I'm see sorry, how Ronnie. it works. He said that, that you deserve... <laughs> sorry, Ronnie. That was, that was the governor. That wasn't even me. Okay. <laughs> Look, if right, right now, if you ran against Donald Trump in a primary, you wouldn't win. Now, some people said, well, you ought to run, and then you can wound him. I'm not that kind of a person to do that. There is, however, an opening, I think, p potentially for an independent run, a third party run, because if the Democrats go hard left, if they go hard left and the Republicans stay over on hard right, you have an ocean of people in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to waste my time or other people's resources. If I think I can be impactful to help the country, great. But there's other ways perhaps I can keep my voice out here. One other thing, Trevor, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, the, the people that are out here, you matter. You see, when our leaders don't take us in the right direction, then we got to figure out what we can do and create a synergy with our friends and our neighborhoods to drive change from the bottom up. We saw it with the civil rights movement. I mean, none of the politicians at the top wanted to do that. They right. were forced to do it. The Vietnam War ended because young people marched and we said we've had enough. It wasn't the leaders at the top. So what we do to send a message to those that are in is start caring about me and put all that all that political and partisan stuff, get rid of it. And if we can send that message and do good where we live, that's the key. Let me ask you one thing before I let you go. Because one thing I have admired about you is that your message has remained consistent. I mean, you know, I spoke to you when you were running and I'm speaking to you now. Here's a, a difficult question. That, I know it's not easy to answer this, but I would like your honest answer. If you, like many Republicans, does not believe that Donald Trump is leading the Republican Party down the right path, do you think it is better for the Republican Party to lose now and to be shaken up and to find its core values again, right, whatever those may be? Or do you think the win is more important? I think that we should stop voting on the basis of a political party and we should start voting on the basis of who we think is the best person for the job. So I early voted, okay? I early voted. I didn't vote. 
I didn't vote. I didn't vote straight Republican. Right. Because if I see somebody who I think is a divider, who's going to continue this division in our country, I'm not voting for him. I'm not going to endorse him. Right. But if you're if you're doing your best and trying, like Mike was doing, well then you know then I can be for you. So my feeling is we should. There's two funny things, Trevor. You know, it's sort of like we get educated in religion when we're young and a political party. You know, it's sometimes I think people are more willing to get their religion than their political party. We can't be way. stuck in that, in red and blue, and we're, you know, we've got a, we're tribal and all that. This is not a football game, okay? This is our country. And all the negative, we, look, we can fight with one another. Corey's going to come on. He and I could disagree on stuff. We could argue about it. But I'm not going to, like, hate the guy or dislike the guy. Uh -huh. I mean, that's what, that's what makes the world go around, debates. But it can't be done in an atmosphere where everything is suspect and we really just don't respect and like one another. It's nonsense. You don't have to operate that way. Thank you so much for coming back onto the okay. show. Wonderful chatting to you again. Governor John Kasich, everybody. Coming up next, my interview with Senator Cory Booker. We'll be right back. Thank you so much. is a Democrat, the junior senator from New Jersey and former mayor of Newark. Please welcome Senator Cory Booker. Welcome back to the show. It is very good. Is there any dunk risk going on right there's now? There's dunk risk right there's, now. There's... Ronnie Chang is at the dunk tank. If you throw well, talking he's, points he's at me... he's already been in. I don't feel as bad if he drops now. Wow. Yeah, you know, Ron, Ronnie, I wow. love you, man. But if you're going down, That's you've already been down. That's a politician. Are you I serious? Thought, why is that a politician? <laughs> Yo, Ronnie, you going in just for that. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad we got that over with. Glad we nice got that played. Okay. Oh, he's got a scuba gear. I like this. He's smart. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here uh, again. What a time to be a politician. Do you think it is the end of America, as many people are saying? I mean, to put things in perspective, we have seen darkness and wretchedness. I know a lot of people like to sort of whitewash our history, but we have had very dark, very painful days. We've seen domestic terrorism, thousands of uh, Americans being lynched, children being bombed in churches. But the power of America has not been what's happened to us. It's been how we have overcome those things. Right. And so in this moment here in America, this is a defining moment for us. We are at another crossroads. And what excites me traveling all around the country is I just see the energy of people, many of whom who will openly admit, hey, I was on the sidelines before. I wasn't engaged. Mm -hmm. But now they're energized and they're getting out there and they're taking responsibility for this democracy. And, you know, that saying from King, everybody likes to quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I actually don't think so. I think that we have to be arc benders and bend it towards justice. And you'll see a lot of people stepping forward to do that. Do, do you think then... <laughs> do you think that in some ways Trump was a necessary evil to get people off the sidelines? Because if people were no longer engaging in their democracy and you now see more women running than ever before, more people of color running than ever before, more young people voting than ever before, was it inevitable that America ended up with a Trump-like person and that restarted the energy that is voting? I, I think bad things happen when good people don't vote. The opposite of justice is not injustice. It's apathy, indifference, it's inaction. Mm -hmm. We've seen the consequences of that. But now I think you're right. I think that the collateral consequences, uh, the benefits, uh, uh, should we say, of a lot of the darkness we're experiencing now is a whole bunch of people are getting involved and right. getting engaged. And we're going to see 
really, we're going to see America in this crop of new elected leaders, from Stacey Abrams to Beto. I mean, I go around the country and you see the people that are rising. Uh -huh. So, look, I, I have a saying I learned from a woman on the fifth floor of the projects whose son was murdered in the building that I would eventually move into. She taught me that hope isn't this, like, feeling you get, oh, there's some, a sun on the horizon. Hope is not external. Hope is internal. It's the active conviction that despair will not have the last word. And so you see a lot of people, no matter how dark it is or how many defeats we may face, they say, I am not going to be defeated. Uh -huh. I am going to respond. I'm not going to let Donald Trump or despair or hate have the last word. I'm going to come forward. And that's the energy that's going around the country. Let, let's talk about the plans then. Let's talk about the plans of the Democrats, because, uh, like, I, I don't know how to break this to you, but, like, many people think Democrats are horrible politicians, right? Nice people, right. horrible politicians, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you, you look at, like, with... It started for many people with the whole Supreme Court justice. Obama, you know, picked Merrick Garland, and the Democrats were like, this is our pick, and, you know, and then, uh, you know, what's his name? Blah, 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 came out, and uh, McConnell. McConnell came out, and he was like, oh, no, we can't vote. And Democrats were like, oh, we tried, but it seems like Democrats always give, and they're like, well, if you guys want to do the thing... But it seems like fire hasn't been fought with fire. Right. And for many people, they want the Democrats to have more teeth. Right. Now, at the same time, Michelle Obama's saying, hey, if they go low, we go high. If the Democrats were to win, what does that change for people on the ground, and where do the Democrats take the government moving forward? I, you know, so this is a little bit of my problem, and this might get me in some trouble, but look, I, I've lived the last 20-plus years of my life in, in an inner-city community in Newark. I'm the only senator that lives in a black and brown inner-city neighborhood. I had a young man shot, shot on my block with an assault weapon. I have a drug treatment center across the street. I have people of great wealth and worth in terms of spirit, character, but last census, I think my neighborhood is like $14,000 per household. Right. And what angers me is before we even had a Donald Trump elected, we had a cancer on our soul of our country, a criminal justice system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than poor and innocent. We still had kids in my city. People think Flint, Michigan is some kind of anomaly. There are th over a thousand jurisdictions where children have twice the blood lead levels in Flint, Michigan. Uh, I could go through the things that were going on before Donald Trump was elected that we seem to tolerate in our, in our nation, a level of injustice that to me is outrageous. And Democrat or Republican, there have been things that have been voted on by both, like the 1994 crime bill that exploded our criminal justice system right. uh, 800% since 1980 alone. One out of every three incarcerated women on the planet Earth is in the United States of America. And talk about not listening to survivors. We jail survivors. 86% of the women in our prisons are survivors of sexual assault, sexual trauma. Uh, and so I'm one of those folks that every day I get up in my community, a great city that's on the move, God bless Roz Baraka, our mayor, but I see every single day the unfinished business of Democrats and Republicans, right. all of us. But then do you, think, do you think the people can move forward then? Because, I, I mean, you see these issues, and now what, you know, I, I, was, I was looking at what many voters were asking for. What, what they were, you know, they go, these elections are coming up. What do you want to see? And one thing I found interesting from both sides, Republican and Democrat, was people said, can they move things forward? Can Congress actually get something done? Can they work together? If the Democrats win the House, the Senate is looking unlikely, but if the Democrats win the House... Do you think there is some semblance of moving forward, or does it become block Donald Trump well, time? Look, first of all, I hope we, as a Democratic Party, do not define ourselves by what we're against or who we're against. We have to define ourselves by what we're for and our willingness to do the work to get there. What, what I worry about is I've traveled around the country now 
Very quietly, I went into the Midwest, met with farmers, Republican farmers, listening to them. And it is obvious, I'm sure you've seen this, you go around this country, we have a sense of common pain, right. health care, common pain, working harder than your parents did, making less money, common pain, worry about retirement with security. But we have all this common pain, but we've, sense, we've lost our sense of common purpose. And what I want to see is leaders, plural, it's got to be all of us, begin to articulate a common vision for this country, drive ourselves towards a common purpose, and rekindle... I think that where America has been at its best, when we have a sense of, 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 com, of collective sort of commitment to one another, uh -huh. shared sacrifices, understanding that there's no easy way to move America forward. It's going to take all of us really leading with a, again with a sort of a revival of civic grace right. towards one another in this country. And now all of that for me is, is the emotional side of it, which is, is beautiful and is the right sentiment, but I'm saying as, a, as an actual tangible thing. So we know criminal justice reform what are you, like? What are your dreams and hopes as 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 a as a, well, as a lawmaker on the dream ground? Hope. I'm a senator now. Look, right, right. I, I so just, I'm saying, like, what are the things we go like? I just got a piece, a bill uh -huh. passed with uh, Tim Scott, African American Republican from South Carolina, that will that because we saw that three quarters of all the investment money is going into like five metropolitan areas, as if small business people in Appalachia or Newark, New Jersey don't have great ideas. Right. So how can we start getting investors to put capital into all of our communities? So we passed a bill that gave incredible favorable tax uh, uh, conditions if you invest in low-income areas, the poorest areas of our country. Right. It's probably going to move tens, of, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. That was a place where we could come together, find common ground, and get things done. I've worked on infrastructure bills. I've, I've, I've passed legislation with some people that would surprise you. It can get done. And, and what worries me is if we fall into this reflexive tribalism, where the highest ideal of America becomes tolerance, mm -hmm. Go home and tell somebody that you care about, I tolerate you, as if that's something we should aspire to. <laughs> uh, um, oh, we're a nation of tolerance. That's no aspiration. We weren't called to be a nation of tolerance. Right. We were called to be a nation of love. Now, that sounds like a weak word, but the truth of the matter is love says, I may not always agree with you. I may not always like you, but I see your dignity. I see your worth. More importantly, I see that my destiny is interwoven with yours. Uh -huh. and, 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 and what does love, what does love look like in public? What does love look like in public? Love look like what love looks like in public is justice. Is that a child is not addled with lead before they even get a chance to go to the first grade. Love is knowing that you're not going to get disproportionately stopped by the police and arrested. We have people in prison right now for doing things two of the last three presidents admitted to doing. Uh, uh, love says that if you work a full-time job, you shouldn't be below, the po be below the poverty line. Love says that, hey, America, we say we love our children. That's a great rhetoric. But why are we the only nation? In fact, the Congo and Afghanistan have paid family leave. But we have parents in this country and mothers, single moms, who have to make the most difficult decisions every day to be at home or in the hospital with a sick ch child or to stay at work. There are so many issues that should unite Americans that violate our values that are incongruent between what we say about ourselves and the realities that our fellow person lives. So this is what I, gets me about people tomorrow's this election day. I'm sorry. Not voting is not an act of rebellion. Uh -huh. It's an act of surrender. You're surrendering the idea of this country. That, that, and, and, and it bothers me. People say, oh, it doesn't matter who gets elected, who doesn't. I'm sorry. It, it, I live in a community where people are at the margins. It does matter who's elected. It matters the difference between incarceration and liberty. It, it matters the difference between having health care for a terminal disease or not. It matters whether you're going to be able to retire with, with dignity and stay above the poverty line. These are issues that do matter. If it doesn't matter for you, then care enough about your fellow American to realize that the outcome of this election is going to determine real issues in their lives. So, you know, I, I, I'm fired up because 
I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I was calling into states today, talking to last night, talking to field workers, people who have been volunteering or giving up their time, running around this country, trying to awaken the consciousness of this nation. That's what leadership is. It's, it's Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner, black and Jewish uh, uh, and Christian and white, people from different backgrounds standing together and saying, what defines us is not our race, not our religion. That's not this kind of country. What defines us is what it says in the Declaration of Independence. These flawed Americans who were genius in their writings, I say flawed because they call Native Americans savages. Right, and, and right, they, right. African Americans were fractions of human beings. Stokely Carmichael used to always say, constitute, constitute. I can only say three-fifths of the word. But the reality is they, they were geniuses because they knew we broke with the course of human events. We put a nation out there that wasn't about monarchies or theocracies or how we pray or how we look all alike. It was about principles and ideals. But they knew that if we're going to make it this country, we have to have this unusual commitment to each other, suppressing individual ego for this idea that we have a common cause. And at the end of that Declaration of Independence, they say we must mutually pledge, pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. This is what this moment in America calls for, committing your sacred honor to your fellow American and saying, you know what, we're in this together. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to stand up for you. And most importantly, tomorrow, I'm going to vote for you. And this is what I love about tomorrow is like if you're late for work or something, you could look at your boss Why you're late. Because I was voting for my country. <laughs> I was, I was going to be there for America. I'm late. Because I was standing for... late for America. America. <laughs> I love that. Use that excuse tomorrow. Senator Cory Booker, everybody. I'm late for America. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.